Looking to stand out from the pack at your first job? When you earn a master's in management from Georgetown, you'll gain the skills employers value most, elevating your career prospects for years to come. Get started at choosegeorgetown.com slash MIM. Welcome to the Smart Driving Cars Podcast Edition 3. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Princeton University Professor Alan Kornhauser. Great to be with you again, Alan. Uh, so nice to be with you, too. And we have a guest with us as well. Joining us on the line from Sweden is Michael Senna, an internationally recognized expert in vehicle connectivity, location-based services, and navigation. He's the author of Beating Traffic, Time to Get Unstuck, and writes a monthly newsletter on automated vehicles called The Dispatcher. Thanks for joining us, Michael. Nice to be here, Fred. Well, in The Dispatcher, you. you have an article titled what the world and transport may be like in 2030. That's just 12 and a half years away. Uh, what do you think some yeah. of the most significant changes will be? I think what with, with, I've tried to um, identify in the article is what the most significant changes may not be. Um, although it may seem like a, a, lo a long time for things to happen, if we go back and think, think about what life was back like back then, um, there aren't that many changes. A number of changes occurred in 1996. Uh, I call it the, the, the Big Bang, where we had the Internet, navigation systems, and a number of other, other uh, things. But not, quite a, not very much has happened except for perhaps the uh, introduction of the iPhone in uh, 2007. So the, the, point of, the main point of the article is that, that there have been a lot of... of um, articles in, in places, including magazines like The Economist, which is saying that the world is going to be very different in 20, 2030. Everybody's going to be living in cities. We're all going to be uh, carried around in, in robotic vehicles. Um, I don't think that's going to be the case. I think we will have some robotic vehicles on, the, on the, some streets in some cities, but um, I think pretty much we're going to have the same thing we have right now. People driving cars are going to be a lot safer. Uh, we're going to have a lot more uh, information coming to the drivers. The drivers are going to be assisted quite a bit more inside the vehicles, but uh, I don't see a world of robot-driven cars in 2030. Why not? What are the obstacles? Well, I think the, the main obstacle is is that um, it may not necessarily be the best idea. I mean, it's, uh, there, are, there are pros and cons to turning over the wheel to, to a robot, um, we aren't the best at, at driving cars, but humans put an awful lot of, of miles and kilometers on, on vehicles. And yes, we do have 1.25 million uh, fatalities in the world um, every, um, every year, which are directly related to, to accidents in cars. But there's really no evidence at this point that I've seen that's, that says that if, if we just turn over everything to robots, that, that that's all those deaths are, are going to disappear. But I think there's an awful lot that we have to do both from the, from the standpoint of, of technology and from the standpoint of, of um, society before we start heading willy-nilly toward, a, toward a, a new world that we don't really know what it's going to mean. Alan? Um, well, of course, I, I agree. I, I agree that it is a 
very short amount of time between now and uh, and 2030. The, the 12 and a half years is, is, is not a very long time. If we look <clears throat> backwards, um, 12 and a half years, as Michael pointed out, uh, basically we're at the 2005 uh, DARPA um, grand challenge, which uh, really is um, is in some sense uh, somewhat the starting point of the of at least the, the robotic car, the autonomous taxi thoughts. Um, you know, that's really at the beginning of when we when when at least some of us began to think seriously that we could. Uh, uh, we could uh, uh, share the, the the infrastructure and create uh, enough intelligence in a vehicle such that um, one vehicle could operate um, in the traffic stream and the existing traffic stream of a number of other of everybody else being human operators and do that uh, safely. And um, if you look back uh, 12 and a half years, you know, that we've spent uh, since then, we've made an enormous amount of progress, uh, but we have yet to have um, um, uh, an empty uh, vehicle uh, run completely by uh, um, uh, artificial intelligence or, or, or computers. Um, operate in a traffic stream uh, without uh, a lot of um, of work being done in advance to, to make sure that it's safe. So um, uh, we've made an enormous amount of progress um, in that 12 and a half years, but if you then take uh, the amount of progress we still have to make to have a, a significant amount of this out there uh, by 2030, um, it's just it's just not enough time. Uh, I agree with Michael. Uh, there'll be some, and it'll be very good, and hopefully we'll have very positive results, and there'll be, uh, you know, acceleration. But, but uh, it is a big marketplace out there, and uh, we are still uh, very much at zero. It sounds, Michael, like you might be questioning, though, whether it's a good idea and whether lives really would be saved. The, yes, well, Michael might be. Um, Michael might be questioning that. I don't question it. Alan, <laughs> let's discuss that, that a little bit. I, I, your yeah, reasons why, Michael, and we have and, two and issues. We have, it. yeah, we we have the the two major issues that we have. I I believe is is on one hand we want to save lives, and there's no question that there are many ways that we can go about saving lives with, if we continue to have people inside of, of machines that can cause an awful lot of damage. Whether or not it's intentional, as it has been with some of these terrorist attacks, which we've even had in Stockholm, or whether it's completely unintentional, which is 99.999% of the accidents that occur. People just make a mistake. And the, the majority of the accidents do are, are caused by individuals in the vehicle or outside of the vehicle making a mistake. The child runs in front of a car. The car can't do anything. The, the driver can't do anything about it. It's the, it's not the driver's fault that the car that the child ran in front of the car. Impossible to see that the child the child is dead. Um, so there are most of the accidents that occur are related to something other than the vehicle making a mistake. So that's that that's one issue. The other issue is why do we want to have 
robots driving our cars, whether the robot is the vehicle itself or the robot is sitting in the driver's seat driving the car, um, so that we can, we can be chauffeured, we can do other things, whether it's reading a newspaper, or, well, we don't do those things anymore, but reading, a, reading something on our, our, our uh, smartphone or talking or, or doing something other than driving. And the whole concept is that driving is boring, driving is a waste of time, you know, we want to get from A to B, but we don't want to be involved in the activity of getting ourselves from A to B. So these these two issues, and I think Ellen has has, has constantly over the over the years addressed both of these issues and has, has identified very good information coming out of the industry that that we read on a weekly basis in the in smart driving that. Is very very important for us to, to to consume and to and to understand. But it, I am not convinced that by taking the individual's brain out of the loop that we automatically get safety. And whether or not people why, why like not? to drive, is, isn't this technology uh, that that we're seeing uh, really incrementally being introduced into into vehicles? That, that is certainly making cars safer. Why wouldn't giving the the robot, as you, as you say, more control or full control, wouldn't that uh, eliminate the all of the human error and human inattentiveness? That's a big jump. That's a big jump from saying that we're helping an individual, a human being, a homo sapien, do something versus... All of those activities being done without the human being being involved at all, especially something that requires so much attention, so much thinking as driving a vehicle. It's, people, kids don't get in, in, into a vehicle and start driving. And one of the reasons that kids have more, more children, when I say it's children, 16 to, to 24-year-olds, are the... Are the the individuals who are in the most accidents, who have the most fatalities, because they're not experienced. They haven't, they're not thinking about what they're doing. Driving a car takes an incredible amount of attention. It's, it's not just something you do by, you know, get in the car and then the car drives, basically drives itself. It takes an enormous amount of attention, and you don't just learn that once you get your driver's license. And suddenly saying, well, we're going to give all of that intelligence that good drivers have to a robot, it's a huge jump. Alan, how do you it, it is that? A, Well, it, it is a huge jump. It, to me, the, the, the driving function is um, it, it's, it's a tale of two cities. In, in one hand, it's extremely simple. Um, and on the other hand, uh, it's enormously difficult. And, uh, and, uh, and so much of it is just enormously simple and can be done. You know, stay between two white lines and don't hit anything in front of you. But then stuff happens. And when stuff happens, it's enormously difficult. So the situation is going to be, if we are to relinquish control of this and take the human sapien out of it, is that we're going to basically have to get those situations in which uh, enormously difficult essentially never occur. 
and uh, and stay within a, a really uh, simple piece. And so, um, you know, that's 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 the real challenge of this, and and uh, and I I think that we'll be able to achieve it, uh, but it's but it's it's non-trivial. Now, where to me, where the safety comes in is that is that getting to autonomous taxi does not deliver the safety. The safety will have to have, to have been delivered way before that. And in fact, when we end up going to autonomous taxi, we're probably going to make the whole system a little bit less safe than it would have been if we would have kept people in it. Uh, and that's why I think that, that the important pieces that we're doing now, and, and I think what Michael said is that we're going to achieve by 2030 some substantial improvements in safety. If, if, in fact, we can do what I call the safe driving part, part of this and get that implemented and, and basically get that on every vehicle that's being, uh, that's being driven out of every showroom and maybe retrofit in, the, in every vehicle built since 2012. Um, and, and that's just uh, systems that basically uh, uh, watch over us and don't let us do stupid things. Uh, you know, why should we ever travel above 130 kilometers an hour or even 90 miles an hour? I mean, really? Where are you going? Cut it out. Uh, even though my, my speedometer on my car shows that I can do 160, really cut it out. I mean, it's, it's silly. Uh, things like uh, keeping you in a lane. Um, uh, all of that uh, can easily be done. And those are, as Michael said, those are places when we make mistakes and, uh, and basically keep us from making mistakes. So that's where the safety piece comes in. And I think we can do that. And we're on our way to doing that. And if, uh, if the manufacturers would really get those things to work, and if the salespeople in the showrooms really started selling it to us, and if insurance really came in there and said, uh, you should buy, and in fact, if you don't buy, we'll buy, because in fact, uh, this uh, reduces your expected liabilities more than, than what the systems cost, then we'll get the safety piece. The question is, is do we want to be chauffeured around? And uh, my view is, is it's pretty darn nice to be chauffeured around. Uh, uh, I get into elevators and buildings, and I don't say, oh, my goodness, I have to drive for a while or let me park it or whatever. You know, I get in, push a button, doors open, I get out, and I forget about it. Uh, that's the way we should be traveling horizontally. Uh, we shouldn't just be doing that vertically. So, anyway, that's where I stand on those. Michael? I like I like the uh, the uh, the example of the of the elevator. I think Ellen and I are both old enough to remember when you got into an elevator in a department store. There was someone there who greeted you with white gloves on and uh, asked you what floor you were going to. And if you were a good customer, they would actually call you by name. So I, I think um, yeah, yeah. Tiffany's in New York still does that. Although I don't have enough money to go in there and in that place. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> no, I, I mean I think it's I think yeah, if we were yeah. going from A to B and then, and and all all the elevator is connected in a building, I would have no problem with it. Although I really did miss the the elevator attendant in the in the Scranton dry goods when when he disappeared. Um, 
and I'm, I'm not, it's not that I have this idea of, of sort of nostalgia, although I'm in a town right now where last, last evening the town was filled with cars, mostly American, and I'm in, I'm in Sweden now. Most of these cars were, were, um, were uh, American cars from the 1930s and 1940s. Oh, uh, yeah, have been really nice. And they were, I mean, they <laughs> were in mint too. condition. They were lovely. And it, oh. it happens here every single Wednesday between the 1st of July and the end of August. And there, there are wow. enormous number of people who, who delight in the whole, everything related to driving. Now, it's not, that's not me. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't own a classic car. I own a car that's dependable. It's not expensive either to drive or to or to uh, to fix i would never buy an electric car until i could be certain that i could get that car charged whenever and wherever i needed to do it without having so you, cables you have stuck range in the anxiety sky. you have range anxiety huh a, a bad well, case it, of range anxiety <laughs> it took it took two and a half hours to get from where we where we have our main place to, to where we are now, to two different condominiums. I mean, and and people people have their lives today are very different from what they were a hundred years ago. I mean, my mother, my my uh, aunt and uncle who lived in or great aunt and uncle who lived in Brooklyn. Once they got there in in 1904, they never left. You know, they they stayed in Brooklyn the entire time. They never went anywhere. Well, they might get on a train and go to Scranton, where my where his brother lived, my my grandfather. But that was basically it. Today, people people have lots of places that they need to get to, and the the whole the concept of giving giving someone else the the keys to to the, to the car and and being dependent on someone else being available, whether that else is a human or 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 a robot, it just add one adds one more level of complexity in in life and. People's lives today are so complex, and that's why they drive their cars everywhere, to make life less complex. The other problem is that we've created environments that we are going to have to, to decreate. We're going to have to, to decompose and compress and, and do all kinds of things if we're going to be able to, or if we want to be able to have mobility as a service and the service is delivered by robotic types of cars because the environments that we live in today just are not conducive to that. So that this is the other part of why, why, why this article, what, what life may be like in 2030, is really aimed at saying, if you if just forget about robots and cars, what, what's happening in the world today and why is it happening? And a lot of that Particularly in places like China, where the, where car ownership is is exploding, and India, where it's doing exactly the same thing, people want to have the kinds of, of mobility that we have in the Western world, whether it's in Sweden or in in, in uh, New Jersey, um, and and the only way to get that is by having a vehicle. Let me just chime in for a second, Michael. Uh, driving today, it seems to me. Uh, my fellow drivers, and myself included, perhaps, are less safe than than we were, less safe drivers than we were because of the distractions, because of our mobile devices. Don't you think totally that's agree. going to push this, push this uh, I, autonomous? Alan, Alan and I are on the same page with this. I mean, I, we Sweden is one of the only countries in, I think it's the only country 
in the European Union that doesn't have very strong laws against driving with your telephone in your hand. All of the other countries, it's either illegal or there are, there are uh, it's, it's illegal. You, you can't do it. But in Sweden, you can. Uh, and and it's, it's interpreted in a strange sort of way. And part, that has to do with the fact that Sweden has got a car industry, a car and truck industry, and it's the truck drivers who really are the worst, um, and the telecommunications industry. At least we have had a telecommunications industry. But the distractions, whether it's a telephone or whether it's a navigation system or a combination of both, people using their iPhones and their Android phones as their navigation device instead of you know, popping up a few more, few more dollars and putting a navigation system into the vehicle, which is much better than having you know, playing around with the telephone all the time. Um, Isn't that enough of an are, incentive? Aren't, aren't these things enough of an incentive to say, okay, maybe we shouldn't be behind the wheel? I, I think it's the reverse. I think... One of the other things that I've, that I've tried to, to, to say is that there are so many things that we can do, we meaning industry working together with government and, and also in, in industry including insurance. Why is it possible for cars to go through red lights? Why is it possible for cars to drive on sidewalks and kill people? We've had, we just had one here just a few days ago, and it wasn't a terrorist attack. It was just somebody who lost control of their car and killed a kid, a child. Why is it possible for those things to happen? Why is it possible for people to, to commit suicide by driving into a truck coming in the opposite direction on a two-lane highway? All of these things, are it's possible today with the technologies that we have, with the combination of, of car and infrastructure to eliminate all of all driving, which is illegal, whether it's speeding or going through red lights or, or you name it, any, anything that's illegal that people do, passing when it's not allowed to be passing, those, all of those things can be dealt with. If we eliminate all of those, those are, those are mental, either they're, they're lapses in, in, in thinking on the part of the driver or they're intentional and they're wrong, if we eliminate all of those, we drop down to a, to a much lower number of deaths and injuries, in our particularly in our cities, than than we have today. And my point is that we can we can reduce significantly the number of deaths and, and injuries related to traffic, to vehicles, whether it's trucks or, or or cars, if we just make sure that everyone obeys the laws. That means putting privacy to, to one side. That means that people don't have the freedom to kill themselves or to kill somebody else. But we, we're, not, we're not ready to do that. We don't seem to be capable as a, as a society or societies to be able to do that. Very interesting. And, that, and I agree with Michael on that. That's, that's basically what I call the safe driving car. That's putting yes. the technology in there to keep us from behaving, to being stupid. Uh, and and uh, there's uh, you know I mentioned it before with respect to speeding, with respect to uh, you know driving out of the lane, crossing double lines, all this stuff. This is all this is this is existing technology that's doable now, that's inexpensive, that could be that we're starting to put in there. Uh, that the safety rating systems of NHTSA should include in their stars. I mean, 
They have five stars for you know a crash um, um, uh, to, in case in case uh, you, you do have a crash and crash survivability, but no stars to avoid a crash. And come on, uh, get with it. Uh, there's technology there to avoid crashes. Let's talk just for a minute about some of the other the developments here. Uh, Tesla has begun with a trickle at first, uh, delivering the Model 3. Let's uh, chat for, for just a couple minutes about the significance of that. Alan? Well, uh, look, they hit their target. The issue is, is can they ramp up? Uh, will they have the batteries to do it? And uh, and it looks like from the original folks that, that hit driven them, at least in the beginning, uh, my goodness, unless uh, Tesla is paying people an awful lot of money to, to uh, put in fake news, it seems like uh, the car is a darn good car. Uh, is you didn't say fake news, did you? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say fake news. Uh, um, I mean, some of the reports are, geez, sounds like Tesla wrote them. Uh, but um, uh, but uh, and and um, it has it'll have auto, it'll have autopilot in it and uh, in some sense autopilot um, well it, it gives you the freedom to take your hands and feet off the wheel and uh, and, and and feet off the, uh, the the pedals in places where it's easy and if we uh, sort of get that all right to allow us to do that when we want to but otherwise when the difficult situations um, have us stay in the loop uh, um, it'll be very interesting to see what the what the crash history is of the first um, you know 100,000 of those vehicles out there in operation for a year it'll be very interesting to see whether or not, uh, in fact, having that amount of technology in those vehicles uh, ends up uh, uh, substantially reducing, um, uh, uh, improving the safety of, of, of those particular vehicles. But um, um, there's been a lot of hype behind that vehicle. It's out there, and uh, it's going to shake them up. Michael? Yeah, I, I think um, Tesla... I worked for a car company, Volvo, for four years. I was an employee. So in, in between the, the start of my consulting company and and um, the end, uh, or, or the new start of it, uh, I came to Sweden to work for Volvo. And the reason I did was that they needed someone who had experience with, um, with mapping and navigation. They had no one on their staff in 1991, 92. So I came and I worked for them for four years. We introduced the navigation system and also the uh, the equivalent of, of the OnStar system. And then I went back to my consulting business. But I continue to work for Volvo. Uh, I mentioned Volvo because when I started working for them, BMW and Volvo had about the same amount of sales. Um, BMW today is over $2 million and... Volvo, two years ago, finally got up over 500,000, and they're, they're on track to get up to 600,000. But if you look at the number of cars sold by, by Volvo in July and the number of cars sold by Tesla in July before the Model 3 has come online, um, Tesla's not that far behind, and the car costs two to three times more than the Volvo. The Model 3 is going to put a Tesla badge on a car 
that's in the same price range as an Audi 6, a Volvo V60, um, not the XC90, but the V60, and, and a lot of car, even, even the low end of Mercedes and low end of, of BMW. I, I do not believe that people are buying Teslas because of autopilot. I believe that people are buying Teslas for two reasons. One, they want to buy an electric car for one reason or another, and, and that's up to them. But they want to buy an electric car, and actually three reasons. They like the design of the car. I don't think it's great. You know, if you want to spend that much money, you can, you can buy an Aston Martin. Um, but it's, it's good enough. So it's electric, and it's a, it's a pretty nice-looking car. Um, and the third is that their business model is completely different from, from the entire car industry. You buy that car directly from them, which means they've got all of the information that they, they need to do things that other car companies can't do, including, and most importantly, over-the-air updating. That car, those cars can be updated, improved. That, that only gives, them an, gives Tesla an additional source of income direct without having to pay anybody in a, in a, in a workshop to upgrade those vehicles because they can do it when the person is when the car is sitting at home and, and connected to uh, to Wi-Fi, um, but it gives the, the the customers the ability to do something that they they normally can't do in a car, which is to make it to improve it without having to buy a new car. So, five hundred thousand people have paid a, I think that's the number. Five hundred thousand people have paid a deposit to buy the, the Model Three. Even if only half of them actually follow through, that's an awful lot of cars. And I guess we're going to find out whether people really can put up with all of the, the, the irritations of, of uh, charging and, and working with electric, electric vehicles. The range isn't as good as the, as the Model uh, X and, and the Model S, but it's better than anything else that's on the market right now, and the design is better than anything that's, that's in there as far as electrified cars. So I think they're in a, in a really good position if they can follow through. They've got, they've got to deliver. But if they follow through, I think they're going to, you know, whether they're worth the valuation they've got right now, I don't, I don't know. That's another issue. But uh, I think they're definitely going to shake up or already have, sh have shaken up the, uh, the car industry. Terrific. Much Let's more tell our listeners, Michael. And, and it can have autopilot, even though Michael <laughs> doesn't think <laughs> people will buy it. But, but, uh, but uh, it will be interesting to see what the, what the uh, uptake is on, on that. And, in fact, I, you know, I want to I second what Mike said. The over-the-air uh, improvement of the car, since, since – it, and it doesn't have to do just with the collision avoidance systems and so on. There are – so, so much of the car is now run by computers. Just to improve that and have the opportunity to do that, it's it's masterful. Now, of course, yeah. in the cybersecurity aspects of all that have to be taken care of, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but I think that's, that's an easy hurdle for them to do. And uh, and it, it also, the, 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 the continuing to touch the customer, the, the customer retention is going to be, I think, so great. Uh, that uh, you know that that people will buy Teslas for the next uh, thirty years. Sounds very optimistic here. 
let's uh, let's tell people, Michael, where they can find you online. Let's tell our listeners where they can find you and the and the dispatcher. Uh, dispatcher is on um, www.michaelsena one word dot com, uh, and you can click on the dispatcher, and all the issues are there. And Alan, uh, of course, people can can find you online as well. Smart driving car. Dot com. Great stuff. Well, thank you so much for joining us, both of you. And thank you for listening to Smart Driving Cars. With 25% off all new and up to 70% off previously leased furnishings, do you really need a better reason to party? We don't think so. Come visit our new Court Furniture Clearance Center with more than 9,000 square feet of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home and office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. Free food, prizes, and fun all weekend long at our Chantilly Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.